Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 670. Powerful Christian talk. Fuel for your body, mind, and soul. You're tuned to AM 670. KLTT. KLTT HD. Commerce City, Denver. And now FM at 95.1. And streaming worldwide at 670KLTT.com. Start and end your day with the good news. The good news with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. Now, here's Angie Austin and friends with the good news. Hello, hello, everybody. Sitting in. Angie's late again. <laughs> um, I mean, Angie's late for the first time. No, um, so she'll be here later, but... Uh, I just wanted to get every, this started, you know. We want to. I have everybody here to talk to, so um, I wanted to welcome back Doug and and Leslie Gustafson, our uh, counselors. Yeah. Uh, they've been out for a little while, and it's glad glad to see you back glad in here. Glad, glad to, be to be back here. here. Yeah. And then uh, we have Cindy Everett Marsh here, uh, Angie's longtime friend, and Jennifer Bishop, our old friend. Although I just met you, uh, <laughs> so you're kind of a new friend to me. Fabulous. So, so yes. I was going to say, what does that mean exactly, Dave? Old dear, friend. Dear friend. Dear <laughs> friend. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so everybody, uh, all the friends are here, and it's good. It's another good day to get mm-hmm. started. And, um, yeah, let's uh, get into it. some good news. Um, so this first clip I have uh, for you guys, it's a little bit different. It's not exactly good news, but I thought it would spark a very good news um, conversation. So it's this woman and she's right here in Aurora, Colorado. And what had happened is she packs her lunch for her daughter and her daughter took the lunch to school and the lunch had cookies in it. And the teacher saw the cookies and took them away and then left a note for the mom. And the note said, make healthier choices for your daughter. And and so it started this whole discussion (laughs) about so, yeah, and like I said, it's not exactly good news, but I thought that if we take the good news angle, I think we could find an answer to this. Prob- what do you guys think about this so far? Absolutely, we can find an answer. Okay, so let's listen to what the mom has to say, and then, um, and then we'll take it from there. They took it over the top to say the kid can't eat it. It was in their lunchbox, but you can't eat it today. The director of the school did not call us back, but Aurora Public Schools says the school did give Natalie a healthy alternative to the cookies. They don't provide lunch for my daughter. I provide lunch. It's between me and the doctor on what's healthy for her. Lisa says she's not a problem parent. She just doesn't agree with the school's position, but she couldn't get an explanation from the school's director. I want to know what problem parent means. Is that just somebody who causes trouble for no reason? <laughs> There's many of them. Yeah. Many of them on the campuses these days. This would be a parent who's just always hovering around their kid, complaining about things, you know, making trouble when things don't really need to, taking over something their child should be talking to a teacher about, for example. But this is a little different. Yeah. A little different the, story. First, the first thing that came to mind when we was this is about the teacher. 
This right. is about the teacher. Power. And this is called displacement. And mm -hmm. this is called she's got some kind of issue going on. And then she found an outlet on these cookies because mm -hmm. it was just not about this child and completely inappropriate overstepping of boundaries of the whole family. Uh, so, you know, I'm glad the mom is standing up and saying that wasn't right because that I was not agree. right. I agree. That was not right. I hope that teacher never has a cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow. I mean, I'm all for making better, healthier choices. Amen. But at the same time, it's like you get to feed your kids. Sometimes, you know, after a sandwich or instead of a banana, they can have a couple cookies sometimes. And I don't see what the big problem is or why this teacher would want to step in so much like that. Even though you know that her, her heart is probably in, in the best place. Uh, but like uh, Leslie said, it could be some displacement, something else is mm -hmm. going on in her life, and so she didn't know. To me, know. it's like a very passive-aggressive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just could go on and on because, right. I mean, we have like, serious eating and food issues oh, in huge. this country, and we have a wrong message being sent to children all of the time mm -hmm. about thinness and diets oh. and being just so. And so, you know, I just have to get defensive around it and say we need to really be, you know, loving on our children mm -hmm. and bringing out and affirming their goodness and their worth and their yes. inner beauty and not honing in on over-focusing <laughs> on a cookie. Right. <laughs> wow. Balanced living, right? Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, maybe um, she earned that cookie. Yeah, I mean, yeah. who even knows? Like, right? And, okay, a cookie. Yeah. Uh, everybody a can cookie. have a cookie every so often. No one's going to, yes. you know. 80, I love the 80-20 <laughs> rule. You know, I, eat, I try to eat as healthy as I can 80% of the time and 20% of the time, you know, I... I'm to over 21, just barely. <laughs> I'll have a glass Don't of wine. tell Dr. Joe that you yes, said that. I know. I know. I know. No, Dr. Joe's cool with a glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I've that's had true. this conversation okay. with him. Yes. It's like he's here, but he's not here. But he's, He'll yeah, be he's, here later today. He's here. He hovers through. Like, he, you know, what would Dr. Dr. Joe do? Exactly. I think it's always in the back of my mind. I'm like, yes, should, would Dr. Would Joe approve of me eating this? sugar aspect. Yes. So he would have considered that a very good. Uh, example, not uh, give not the way the example was given, but overall, just to point out that you know healthier choices than. Uh, well, and it, yeah, it, it, we don't know. Maybe this, yeah, maybe this mom packs sugar, 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 sugar. We don't know that. An obese child. Right, obese right. Child we we don't know any of those things. But what what we do know is she wrote a note and put it in the lunchbox? The delivery was not right on The delivery that. was not good. And it brings up another issue about whose role is it? Right. Is it the teacher's role or is it the parent's role to be figuring out nutrition and food mm -hmm. choices? And I think there's a bigger issue behind that though, and that's what's the, what is the role of the school uh, and, and is it just teaching? Is it to reflect on nutritional values? Is it to create character in our kids? We ask a lot of schools mm -hmm. to be sort of a bastion of positivity uh, as we drop them off and pick them up late in the afternoon, hoping that something really good has happened. So sometimes there are things we, we hope for in a school. Maybe things like this need to be clarified. Mm -hmm. But I like the idea of the school being you know, in on what families want for their kids around nutrition and around values and around the heart we're trying to create rather than kids that are bullying one another and, and some of the egregious things yeah. we see today. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, that's, I think that's a really good segue to my next 
topic too that I wanted to talk about. This is a very, very sad topic, but also I think we can approach it in, um, you know, using faith and how you can get past this and how to not only as just spectators overcome it, but how, you know, if we see our families in the situation, you know, Leslie said that this is a big problem in Douglas County. We're one of the top in the country for this problem. Yeah. But so um, over the weekend, a little girl, Mallory Grossman, committed suicide. She was only sixth grade. She was only 12 years old. And um, like Doug said, uh, you know, we like the idea of schools being involved. This girl was being severely bullied. But and she goes to a school where there's bullying campaigns. There's anti-bullying awareness. There's all that stuff. Um, she actually was at a bullying conference or a bullying, um, you know, presentation earlier that day at school when she went home and committed suicide. She was a cheerleader. We don't know. And so how deep do we want the role of school to get? Where do you guys stand on that? And what's a good way to, to get past problems like this? I, I think I have a thought on that. I think that one of the things that is emphasized in school so much is how many facts can you absorb and how well can you spit them out and kids are under a lot of pressure to you know create 4.0s or 4.5s to get into colleges they want to get into but what if we had a school that sort of turned that upside down and said no we can continue to teach those things but let's teach values let's teach character from kindergarten on let's let's address these issues and cooperate with parents to create programs specific to that or maybe strategies around that so that our schools are known for not just producing kids that spit out facts but spit out values and live by them mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I wonder too you know again what people knew or didn't know did she actually reach out at school was she telling people that I'm being bullied and then she wasn't being received and responded to well in that or was she completely hidden and isolated in it and then her her big act was to say wait me you know tragic 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 because well, education about bullying is a whole different thing than a child saying help mm -hmm. or somebody saying I feel like she's not doing well and checking in on her and well, I also wonder um, how in tune and in touch mm -hmm. her family and the people that were close to her yeah, in we her were, home space were in tune to uh, what she was dealing with mm -hmm. and how open she was about that. There's so many variables there in, is. in this story and so many angles to look at it on and it's just so it's, it's up in the air and it is tragic on how we can move forward and protect um, our children. Well, this, oh, and that okay. raises the question too, you know you have the brick and mortar school, you have the family that may interact in certain kinds of ways, but now we have this worldwide web. Yes. And it transcends <laughs> schools, it transcends families. Mm -hmm. Families don't know what their kids are saying on Snapchat or viewing on Facebook when they see the people having the ideal life, but I don't, mm -hmm. and bullying that takes place there. These are things that uh, you know, go, go beyond the school and sometimes overreach the family. Well, yeah, I, and that's such a great point because I, my, my guess, and I don't know the research on it, is that bullying and all of this has definitely increased absolutely. with the technolo technological age that we're in where there's so much more exposure and children have interactions with each other that are more anonymous. And you know how we de dehumanize each other and can mm -hmm. right? when we're not sitting across from somebody who's a real human being. Looking and we're them. just saying things without realizing, you know, on the internet, the impact 
impact it's having on somebody else who's receiving it. And that's hard to keep a beat on. Uh, my own personal experience, our son, he's now a Marine Reservist and he's in college to become a pilot. But back in high school, he went to a 5A top high school in Colorado, always, you know, in the top three for uh, football. And as a junior, he decided he was going to go out for football, never played football, didn't watch football, didn't understand football, but he was a little guy. Now he's not, but he was a very little guy. He was like 120 pounds. Well, the high school he went to, they did not cut um, because it was a huge moneymaker for the school. He was like in the last string of the last and the smallest kid. And he would come home with black eyes and bruises and he would tell us you know it was a hard practice it was a hard practice yeah. and then afterwards and we found out that he was being bullied and it was i mean widespread the coaches know about it and it's it's just what they do now you know i consider myself a pretty good parent in tune with our son but, you know, he and maybe this girl was a cheerleader. Like, if you're a football player, you suck it up. You And he gets all these outside influences. And then after he got done with boot camp, he really opened up to us. And he was saying, this is what was happening. And I'm like, why didn't you say anything? He goes, because I knew you would go to the school. And then I would get even more bullied. Mm. Right. Right, right. And I think it speaks to um, what, looking out for the signs and a, a way, a good way to approach people who you mm -hmm. think may be at risk of things like this, you know, and looking for all those telltale signs because people won't necessarily open up about something so, you know, so deep and so important. I think that's why they're so, you know, why it happens so often is because they hold it in and they hide it so well. Mm -hmm. But there's always those physical signs that show up after things like this, you know, anxiety. Sometimes it's like total mood swings. Sometimes it's just complete, you know, um, you know, um, panic attacks or not willing to get out of bed for mm -hmm. a long time. And that's, a, I mean, and those all seem like classic teenager feelings which they it kind of is but that's why it's so difficult to see through mm -hmm. um th see through all that stuff so well we talked with him and we worked through it and he saw a great uh coach and i think that's a big reason why he went into the marines mm. <laughs> so not that bullying is ever good but and not a but not that bullying is ever good i think for our son we were able to turn it around and hopefully give him now he has the outlet of being a marine mm -hmm. and it was cool because he went back to his high school and then he's he's like all like ripped and um he's in his marine <laughs> uniform and he was like see hey, <laughs> see what i did and not you know it, it worked for him but i just it, it's just, and I've had other friends that of kids that committed suicide and one of our neighbors and yep. it's just as suicide. Oh, it's so sad and so preventable. And yes. it's impacting all of us too. Now let's, yes. let's add this too: the opioid crisis. Oh, yeah. Gosh. The overdoses on heroin and narcotics. Yep. And yes. we're, yep. lo we're looking at national trends on, on increases in suicide, increases on, on drug addiction. Mm -hmm. We've got a worldwide problem. We've got at least a problem in the United States that's bigger than just this suicide issue. Yes. Suicide's a symptom of something bigger. People's lack of, uh, of connection, of hope. lack of mm -hmm. fabric, lack of hope. Mm -hmm. uh, we have Jesus. So Amen. We have an answer to this. So uh, we do. And I think that that's the hope. Right I, th there. I think that's right exactly there. exactly right. And I think that um, it's a good way to fight against 
all of this combat against all the stuff that we're talking about today it are, is good influences on our lives. Yes. We're talking about how teachers can be yep. influences on our lives. And so I found this other clip for you guys Woo-hoo! where this teacher, let's end on something really good. Woohoo, let's do. Thanks, yes. yes. <laughs> uh, it's, this is going to end. Oh. And this guy is really, really great. So it's, um, he's, <laughs> this guy is great. He's got the biggest personality. Anyway, he uh, is a kindergarten teacher, but he's also a professional wrestler. So here, let me play this <laughs> clip and so we'll talk about it. We are moments away from elation. Five-year-old Brian Kelly has been waiting nearly six months for his dad, Air Force Captain Dan Kelly, to get back from an overseas deployment. Sorry, wrong clip. (laughs) In a classic battle of good versus evil, a professional wrestler by the name of Scyther is about to take on the dreaded Southern Hangman. This is the minor leagues of the professional wrestling world. Ring the bell. Almost all these guys have day jobs in mostly manly man professions, with the notable exception of this little green angry bird. When Scyther's not wrestling villains, he's singing the days of the week. Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Yes, this is Wednesday his kindergarten class in Fort Myers, Florida. Come on, Lakovis. Scyther, a.k.a. Steve D'Amico, has been doing both jobs for about two years now. Wednesday, Crisscross. Right in the middle. Boom. Pound him into applesauce. What a contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the lives, they don't, they don't mesh well together. At least they don't seem like they do. You're saying they do? There's similarities between the two, I think. What are the similarities? I think that you have to have a dynamic personality for both. You come in the classroom, it's a prepared performance. And certainly, nice job. If you can feign injury, that helps too. So hard. Days of the week. Steve got his degree in elementary education back in 2011. Days of the week. He applied to a dozen schools, but no one wanted him until he got a call from Three Oaks Elementary. So there's a little bit more. There's another part of this clip, but um, I just wanted to say that I think it's so important to have an influence like this in your life. I think uh, personally, I had Mr. Alders. He was my third grade teacher. He taught me. Uh, you know, just how to like tap into my imagination and how to use all the things that my gifts for what it is to navigate through life. And I just think I still hold on to that from third grade. And mm-hmm. I think that it's just so important to have influence like that. Okay. So here, let me, let me do this last part of this clip and then we'll talk about it. Did you just not put the wrestling on I the resume? I put the wrestling on the resume and that's what got me the job because they said, wow. No, 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 no. Yeah. All they needed to hear was he's a professional wrestler. I, I mean, you got I don't the know if job. That's put it over the top for them. I don't know, but I just remember well, we're that. We're going to find out. Yeah. Jody Moorhead is the school principal. I've been doing this a lot of years, and I trust my instincts. And I just saw something in Stephen that I thought he would be great in our school. Just had such enthusiasm. And that's how the future of America became entrusted to this soon-to-be soprano. Despite his writhing, Steve says he loves both jobs. But if forced to choose, he says he would have to pick the profession with the fewest intimidating characters. In other words, he'd pick wrestling. So the Southern Hangman does not intimidate you, but little Johnny Smith does? (laughs) Yes. After the end of the match, if anything goes wrong, I'd have to talk to the Southern Hangman's parents afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I thought... That was a really, really great. I imagine being a kindergarten teacher is probably very much like being a pro wrestler. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> a lot of pretending. You got to fall down a lot. I have two little kids, so I understand. Uh, you know, you got to fall down a lot, pretend like you're hurt all the time. Diversity of spirit, and he actually just <laughs> seems like a big kid and a big marshmallow himself mm -hmm. in the yeah. most beautiful way. Yes, yes, and that's what struck out struck me most was his attitude and his presence, like what he was calling himself into and really embracing. Yeah, like he had big energy, big character, but he also was like, I'm going in there and I'm performing which says I'm stepping up and I'm stepping into and I'm going to do something good here. Well, I think it's cool how he he, he took his gifts, his God-given gifts, and and saw that they were together. Like, yeah. they're the same. Or, you know, you need a dynamic personality to do this. So good yeah. for him. Way to go, Steve. Attitude for the Sither, yeah. Sither, Seether. Seether, yeah. Seether. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you guys all for being here. Um, um, Jennifer Bishop, why don't you tell everybody how to get a hold of you? Uh, www.livingyourpotential.com. And uh, Doug, Doug and Leslie? Uh, AuthenticandTrue.com. Lots of free resources there to help you grow. And Cindy Everett Marsh is still coming. Is still in being built. Okay, <laughs> it's coming. So soon, coming soon. Cindy Thank Everett Marsh. You, Dave. Thank you very much. Okay, and we'll be right back. The good news of Jesus for you in high definition radio and streaming at 670kltt.com. This is KLTT Commerce City, Denver. All right, Angie Austin here along with Adam. Adam is an ambassador with ARC, and when you shop at ARC, it helps the ambassadors. They help people in our community. Every dollar you spend helps, and everything you donate helps. ARC is a tremendous benefit to people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Now, there's a Saturday sale. Most items half off. If I'm a senior, 55 and over, on Tuesdays, most items are half off. How do we find out about that? ARCthrift.org. How about if I want to donate? Where do I donate? 303 238 Jane. You call them and they'll pick up whatever you need. Furniture, small, big. Medium. Uh, yep, absolutely. Uh, a small, big, medium. Yes, they'll bring the truck right on over. What's yes, the number? 303 238 Jane. Yeah, they bring a truck right to your house. 303 238 Jane. 303 238 Jane. ArcThrift.org. Does the ARC make you feel special? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I thought so. You are special. ArcThrift.org. As are you, babe. As are you. Do you love working for ARC? I Denver Rescue Mission's annual turkey drive needs your help to reach their goal of 15,000 turkeys this year, and they've made it easier than ever to help your community members in need. Just pick one of two ways to donate. You can either drop off a frozen turkey at the main shelter downtown or simply go to denverrescuemission.org and buy a turkey online. Your donations will go directly to those in need at the annual Denver Rescue Mission Thanksgiving Feast. But the community turkey drive also helps other members of the community by assisting hundreds of community outreach agencies across the Denver metro area. To make your donations, please bring a frozen turkey weighing 12 pounds or more to our main shelter on the corner of Lawrence Street and Park Avenue. Or to make a contribution online, visit denverrescuemission.org. This is your opportunity to make this a happy holiday season for all. Donate a turkey to the Denver Rescue Mission today. 
Hey, welcome back to the good news. Angie Austin and friends here for the good news. Beatrice Bruno, Donna Hetzler, and also Michelle Ron. You know, uh, they're authors and we speak together as well quite often. And uh, I, I have them join me on the program all the time because it's just fun to have a group of Christians together who are normal people. And, uh, you know, <laughs> oh, we don't wait. we don't know. We, we don't make the news. Well, you know, normal? the people I'm, I'm just I'm, I'm so tired of the Christians that make the news. A lot of yeah, them are nuts. Right. Yeah. And then people are like, you Christians are crazy. No, the ones on the news are crazy Thank you. you know <laughs> and right. so um i was really interested when uh to be honest with you benjamin weicker i'm going to be honest with you when i got the interview assignment for the book the reformation 500 years later 12 things you need to know benjamin weicker i was like i'm not sure if this is my cup of tea he's fascinating Ooh. he's brilliant hmm. and he's on his way to class soon after this interview so we're just going to get right into it so welcome back benjamin i know we've done a short interview with you we have more time now so give the ladies and also you listening give uh, we're going to give you just a synopsis what's the book about well as the the title actually points back to the reformation but the consequences of the reformation 500 years later which we are about to celebrate. So the initial focus is on what are Christians facing today, all Christians, Protestant and Catholic, and how do we understand that in terms of what happened 500 years ago? Now, the way you explained it to me in our initial interview is that Christians um, are getting persecuted not just from the right, not just from ISIS, uh, but from the left as well. So explain the impact that's having on Christians and explain who's persecuting us. Exactly, and that's, that's the now that the book begins with. That is, I, I begin by, what is the current state of Christians? Well, all Christians, Catholic and Protestant, uh, are being persecuted both by radical Islam and by radical secularism. Uh, people may not be aware, unfortunately it's not in the news, it should be, that over the last decades, about 100,000 Christians a year have been martyred by radical Islam. Okay, stop right there. You're telling us that, that we're, not, we're not seeing this on the news, but that 100,000 Christians have been killed around the world for not denouncing Christianity, that they are asked to denounce Jesus, to denounce Christianity. They don't, and they're killed. So 100,000 have been martyred around the world? A year. Yes, a year. Why, uh, why aren't we hearing about this? Well, that you know, the answer actually goes to the to the other group that's persecuting Christians, and that's the radical secularists. They don't care. They won't report on it. It's not important to them. And the reason is, if you trace back radical secularism, uh, even prior to the Reformation, it believes that Christians are the enemies of progress. That's right. They are the ones that uh, keep us from bringing about a heaven on earth, and so. Uh, even that long ago, those many centuries ago, they had set themselves against Christianity. So today, they literally don't care about Christians. Mm -hmm. And so they, they you know, 100,000 years, or any other group that were being martyred at that rate, that would be reported all over the place. Even if it were penguins, my gosh, it would be reported. Right. <laughs> but Christians aren't worthy, uh, you know, of note in that respect. So that is not reported. And that ra uh, radical secularism was the source of persecution both in the 20th and now the 21st century. These things go hand in hand in actually, I hope, bringing the Reformation to the close, because Catholics and all kinds of Protestants are coming together mm -hmm. in the face of this double persecution. And guess what? We realize that we have more in common than divide us. We have 
more at stake in our in and defending ourselves in common than we do have sort of with the old fights that go back 500 years. Okay, so this is a pretty in-depth book. Let's get into some of the things that we need to know because you specifically say that there are 12 things we need to know. So what are some of the most important things you want to get across to us? Well, the ones that I just mentioned are, are the beginning point, as we need to know that, that Christians are being persecuted now um, by radical secularism and radical Islam, but we need to know about the place that both of those played in the Reformation. Because we tend to think, hey, um, you know, atheism, that's, that's new, right? Hmm. Well, as I point out in the book, um, atheism arose in the West prior to the Reformation. Hmm. And so prior to the Reformation, you have atheism spreading throughout Europe from Italy. And again, it sees Christianity as the enemy, and it's been building up ever since. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were intent on manipulating the differences between Christianity for their own good, of a kind of a divide-and-conquer thing. And so we need to know that about the Reformation, that it was made more divisive by people who wanted to get rid of Christians, period. So you have that little irony, and a lot of people don't know that when Martin Luther was was uh, uh, reforming in the early 1500s, the main thing on the news was actually that Islam was about to conquer Europe. Hmm. Uh, Muslims had been, and I, and I give an account of this in the book, I go back all the way to the 600s and show, look, century by century, they're intending to... Uh, to conquer all the infidels and hence all of Europe and around the Mediterranean. And by the 1500s, uh, after having taken the Constantinople, that is uh, in present-day uh, Turkey, uh, Istanbul, uh, they were flooding into Europe. And the main thing that the emperor was worried about was not Luther, but is this the last century for Christendom? Is this it? You know, or it's, so the very fear that Europeans feel today about radical Islam was ten times fold back then, and Luther himself believed that there wasn't going to be a 500 years mm-hmm. uh, afterward, because he thought he was in the last century, and that God was using Islam as the rod of his anger. Uh, and uh, that he lived in the last century, and that was the book of Apocalypse, uh, the book of Revelation, come alive. And so we see that something that concerns us now had roots way back then. Well, Islam didn't take over Europe back then, but it is today. And one of the reasons is that Europe has been secularized. It's been weakened. Christianity itself has been weakened by division. And basically the Muslims are just moving in uh, into that vacuum. So, uh, you know, uh, there's... Many other things we need to know about the Reformation, but, but to tag on that, I, I wanted to, uh, to elaborate that those things were going back on 500 years ago. You know, it's interesting because Europe has so transformed, and uh, I recently had a friend go on vacation there, and she w- um, was a, she's a former CIA operative, so she and her husband actually can blend in in the Middle East, they speak the language and can feel comfortable. And she said after, you know, short conversations, I mean, first of all, I told her, You're, you don't take the kind of vacations that I want to take. You don't have umbrella <laughs> drinks. They, like, go under, <laughs> they go undercover and interview Middle Eastern men. And she talked about young Middle Eastern men coming uh, to Europe, not necessarily 
necessarily because of any kind of persecution or they're trying to rescue their family, uh, that they get there. And she said within a half an hour of talking to them, they'd be very honest, the young men, about the fact that they didn't need to find work because the benefits were fine and why would I get a job? And then she said to find out their absolute disdain and hatred for Christians and Jews for that matter, it was so um, right on the surface. Once they trusted and could speak their language, she said they were very honest, in particular with her husband. And then a lot of them, she said, were getting involved um, being recruited for the drug trade. She spent mentioned yeah. specifically the opium drug trade. But mm-hmm. I said, well, what about, you know, um, you know, the way that our relatives came to the U.S. and they were enculturated, like they wanted to learn the language, they wanted to set up a business, they wanted to be part of the community. I said, do they want to become part of Europe and become? No, she said they want, you know, their culture to be brought to Europe and for their culture to be the predominant culture. And I think you and I talked about these no-go zones where police are yep. not supposed to go. And women, I mean, the sexual assaults of women. Um, I just interviewed a, a reporter who works with the New York Observer and uh, Andre Walker, and he was telling me uh, that in these some of these towns north of London uh, where there are, he goes, what you call the Manji in the U.S. is not really a flattering term. Uh, they're called poor white trash there. And he mm-hmm. said, when what I mean is that they're not necessarily from an educated family and that this is so uh, not politically correct to talk about in a lot. He said it was hard for him to get some of these stories even published. Um, oh, yeah. That they're, he call, they're called Muslim rape gangs. And he said what happens is these poor girls from uneducated families in some of the smaller towns outside of London were being what we would call it here in the U.S. sex trafficked and that no one wanted to... Um, uh, report on it because it wasn't politically correct to say that these men were treating women differently and abusing them yep. and that some of the parents that were complaining he said were actually being arrested or in trouble with the law for saying my 13 year old daughter is uh is has been taken or is being trafficked throughout a family and it blew my mind that we could become a society that's so politically correct that we would not uh, protect these young whether they're christian or not young girls um from these men because it was politically incorrect to pinpoint that their their religion or their country of origin and he said they actually started calling them asian rape games to not offend the muslims (laughs) and then the asian groups were upset and i'm like am i talking to an actual reporter is this like a Uh. legit story is this happening (laughs) because i'm not hearing anything about anything like this yeah, and, and, and the, the, uh, the, that actually is one of the things that I go over in the book. Where did it come about that uh, the secular left has this weird relationship where Christianity can't do anything right and Muslims can't do anything wrong? And it's what you're calling political correctness. Well, political correctness actually has its foundation uh, in the rise of secularism, which, again, you know, it's, it, it's in the 1400s, right before the Reformation. But by the time that these secular uh, atheists um, really gained cultural control in the 1700s, that is the Enlightenment, and again, I document this in the book, uh, what you have is a kind of, uh, uh, a, 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 what, an affirmation society of Islam, uh, so that, there, you know, again, uh, you can't get any worse uh, religion than Christianity, but look how wonderful Islam is. So you have the praising of Islam in the 1700s, uh, and, and, you know, always putting a good spin on everything they've done historically. 
and a bad spin on everything that Christians have done. And you think, oh, that's that's the New York Times, isn't it? Well, no, that's the 1700s, and the New York Times is actually uh, historically related to this movement. So this, what we're calling political correctness, is centuries old, and it's rooted in the rejection of Christianity in the culture and the attempt to replace it both with a secular culture but one that says, hey, you know, Christianity is rotten, and, and any religion is better than that, and Islam is especially good, well, that's what creates the, the, uh, the weird situation in Europe where the secular left is, is doing everything it can to expunge Christianity at the same time as doing everything it can to welcome Muslims, mm-hmm. no matter how badly it turns out. Mm-hmm. And you say, well, where did this come from? Well, read the book. You'll find out where it came from. Well, I, you know, just in case you're just joining us, Benjamin Weicker, uh, he has a Ph.D. from Vanderbilt University. He's taught at Marquette University, St. Mary's, Thomas Aquinas College, and on and on. He writes full-time as a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute and at the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology. So he is well-versed in this topic, and we are talking about his book, uh, and, and you may have heard a shorter interview with him, but we just thought, my goodness, this is worth uh, delving into. The Reformation, 500 years later, 12 things that you need to know. Again, Benjamin Weicker. Ladies, um, any questions? I see you all taking notes, and you're all authors. <laughs> so what, what are you thinking here? Sir, um, this is Beatrice Bruno. I'm, I was an uh, uh, Army drill sergeant and, and served in the Army for 15 years. And one of the things I noticed when we went to other countries, um, during our you know assignments that when you got to those other countries you had to do what they said to do in the way this in the way that they said to do it because if not you would get in trouble because you're not a citizen and you have to obey their laws now my question to you is how are these um i, I don't want to call them extremists but i'm, I'm just going to say how are these foreigners going into the european countries and just taking over religiously and and certain areas in, where in the certain cops areas, aren't yes. even supposed to go anymore and that women yeah. all of a sudden are treated to and i don't know if the women on the left realize this the people that they're defending are not people that would defend their rights right. as women so oh, no, right. no no so how yeah, are they no. getting in and and infiltrating yeah. in in such a huge way that is that is a great question because people think oh my gosh this is something new and one of the things that I do in the book is is provide a chapter on Islam. Say, so if you understand the history of Islam, mm-hmm. you understand the effect that it had on the mm-hmm. Reformation, but you also understand what's going on today. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning, the goal of Islam has been to conquer. Mm-hmm. That is, it, it wants to universalize Islam so everyone is under Islamic rule. And so that push into Europe has been something that's been trying to achieve for centuries, and it almost got there. It was on the cusp of doing it in the 1500s, and if it had done it, things would be much different today. Mm. But what's happened is this. Uh, uh, what you have is uh, Europe's been secularized, and that makes it weak. It makes it weak in two ways. One is that it refuses to say that Christianity might actually be a better religion hmm. to have around than Islam. It, it can't say it. It can't get those words out of its mouth because that would be to undermine its entire project. Uh, But it also can't really understand what Islam is about. That is, it refuses to go back in the history and see it's been trying to conquer Europe since the 600s. And so just moving in demographically is part of that. That's why they don't assimilate. They're not trying to. At this point, 
uh, uh, what you have is a not just jihadi, uh, jihadic, you know, uh, uh, implosions over the place, but you have a demographic transformation. That is, the secularism is the source of uh, the rejection of the Christian understanding of sexual morality. What happens is nobody's having babies. Is basically that, and uh, Islam comes in and they're having something like you know eight to ten per family. And so you don't need to come in there with a sword. All you need to do is move in and, wow. and have more children, and you have a demographic displacement so they can achieve uh, what they tried to do uh, in the 1500s, mm-hmm. literally just dis- displacing European Christianity. They have no intention at all of assimilating, and that's why you have to, uh, as it were, as you're saying, conform to them, and you can't make them conform to what would... Uh, at least be a secular understanding, but certainly not a Christian one. And Benjamin, you say in the book, though, uh, Christianity is not going away. Well, it depends on how we act. In other words, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, for Christians, the gates of hell can't prevail against the Church, but that doesn't mean we can't, you know, if if we aren't good Christians, and if we're disunited like we are now, we're that much weaker that they were that much less capable of withstanding the assault by the secular left and by Islam. And secular society itself needs us. It doesn't have any moral foundation at all. That's one of the reasons Islam attacks it. That's right. Because they look how immoral it is. And they say this is a decayed civilization. We can just move in and take over. Wow. So, Benjamin, yeah. I want to make sure people can find you and your books. They can find me on my website, which is simply enough called BenjaminWiker.com. And uh, the book is available there, but of course it's available at Amazon and at Barnes & Noble. Well, absolutely fascinating to have you on the show again. Thank you so much for your time. We know you're headed off to uh, to uh, a class right now. So thank you, Benjamin. Thank you. Thanks thank so you. much. And thank you for having me. God bless. God bless you. Wow, ladies. Yes, that went too fast. Well, I know it was a fast, wasn't it? A lot of information. Yeah. Hi, it's Angie. If you want a super vacation deal, YMCA of the Rockies has $84 lodge rooms through the end of the year. Y is my favorite vacation spot offering this killer deal. My whole family stays in one of these lodge rooms. And here's the deal. $84 per night for a lodge room. And each room includes two free breakfasts, two day minimum. Because it's the 110th anniversary, they're only offering 110 rooms at each location. YMCA of the Rockies Estes Park and YMCA of the Rockies Snow Mountain Ranch. So make your reservation now to get this deal. So go to ymcatherockies.org. And these are some of the things that are included. Arts and crafts, hiking, roller skating, campfires and s'mores. You can also pay a little extra and do some snowshoeing and horseback riding. We love this place. It's our absolute favorite vacation spot in the United States of America. Again, ymcatherockies.org. Denver Rescue Mission's annual turkey drive needs your help to reach their goal of 15,000 turkeys this year, and they've made it easier than ever to help your community members in need. Just pick one of two ways to donate. You can either drop off a frozen turkey at the main shelter downtown or simply go to denverrescuemission.org and buy a turkey online. Your donations will go directly to those in need at the annual Denver Rescue Mission Thanksgiving Feast, but the community turkey drive also helps other members 
of the community by assisting hundreds of community outreach agencies across the Denver metro area. To make your donations, please bring a frozen turkey weighing 12 pounds or more to our main shelter on the corner of Lawrence Street and Park Avenue. Or to make a contribution online, visit DenverRescueMission.org. This is your opportunity to make this a happy holiday season for all. Donate a turkey to the Denver Rescue Mission today. Hi, it's Angie with the good news. Well, November 15th was America Recycles Day. And in honor of that, we're talking about blue jeans going green. This is an interesting topic. And Andrea Samber is joining us. She's the co-director of Strategic Alliances with Cotton Incorporated. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you, Angie. Happy to be here. So let's talk about blue jeans going green. This is denim recycling. You know, denim lasts forever. (laughs) So I can imagine it would need to be recycled. It does. It does. Uh, Cotton Incorporated created this program in 2006 as a way for consumers to recycle their old denim. Maybe it's time that it doesn't fit any longer or it's time for a new style and taking up space in the closet. But we, um, we can give that old denim new life as insulation. And then we take that insulation and contribute it to communities across the U.S. for building effort. All right. So in terms of recycling, today is the first day that I have learned that denim can be turned into insulation, which I think is fascinating. I just love it that creative minds can do amazing things with something as simple as a pair of blue jeans. Well, I think the program really embraces the do-good consumerism mentality we're seeing across the country by returning clothes to its natural fiber state, denim specifically being cotton, and repurposing it to meet a need in our communities. We recently conducted a study and learned that 65% of U.S. consumers say they recycle their clothing, um, and that Research has also revealed that nearly 60% of U.S. consumers say they donate unwanted clothing to charity. So the Blue Jeans Go Green program is really a way for consumers to feel good about recycling their old denim and having it turned into something new, ultra-touch denim insulation, that we're then able to distribute to communities around the U.S. That's so, so cool. All right, so let's talk about how many tons of denim have been diverted from landfills. The consumer response to the Blue Jeans Go Green program has been amazing. To date, over 1.7 million pieces of denim have been recycled. That's kept over 750 tons of denim out of landfills. Wow, that's a lot. Now, you mentioned, you know, the donations. I I don't know if people realize how simple it is now to donate things because my kids' jeans never wear out. It just doesn't happen. And so um, we have the truck for the various donations. We use ARC a lot, but just about any, um, you know, uh, charity that you like, you can call and many of them understand it's a hassle for you to come and they'll come right to your door with the truck and they'll pick up your stuff. Yes, that's correct. Uh, For the Blue Jeans Go Green program, listeners can go to bluejeansgogreen.org to learn where they can take their denim locally. We have a lot of retail partners that participate in the program that when you walk into their store and recycle an old pair of jeans, they may give you a percentage off the purchase of new or a few dollars off the purchase of new denim. Um, And if you don't have a store locally that's participating in the program, You can always visit bluejeansgogreen.org and download a mailing label, add some postage, and any time of the year, we accept denim for recycling. Okay, this is amazing. So go to the website, and you can figure out which stores might give you a discount for donating your blue jeans. 
Um, and you can also get That's a label correct. and just send them. And now, now sending things is simple. You don't have to like drive down someplace. They'll often come to your door and pick up, um, you know, what you've labeled to be shipped out. That's correct. Yes. You can put your own postage on it, whatever works for you. And uh, you can recycle denim today or any day throughout the year. And many, many of our partners do offer that percentage off for recycling old denim. So just by visiting bluejeansgogreen.org, you can find out where you can take denim locally and see what the offer is. Uh, and if that works for you, that's a great way to recycle denim. I love that. Incentives. Okay, it's bluejeansgogreen.org, bluejeansgogreen.org. This is fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. I think this program is just one example of how cotton touches our lives, whether it's your favorite pair of jeans, your favorite way of giving back. Your recycled denim can and will make a difference through the Blue Jeans Go Green program. So we appreciate your interest in having the opportunity to talk to you and your listeners about it. We appreciate you. Thanks, Andrea. Thank you, Andy. Thanks for listening to The Good News with Angie Austin. Find the podcast of past shows at AngieAustinRadio.com. You're tuned to AM670, KLTT Commerce City, Denver, KLTT HD, and streaming worldwide at 670KLTT.com. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of your wonders. This Thanksgiving, what is your heart thankful for? I am the real Tracy Rock, and what I'm thankful for this year is my faith. I am anointed, appointed, and sanctified in Jesus, and that is a miracle. I am thankful for my spiritual parents, teaching me the Word of God, Bill and Jan Odomolin. I am thankful for my children, Dalen, Jesse, my new daughter-in-law, Rebecca, Katiana, and D'Artagnan. This is what makes me rich. I'm thankful for my friends and my family. Oh, what a gift. I'm thankful for my future and what God has in store, for his provision, for his blessings, and for his love. Lastly, I am thankful that God has me right where he wants me. Regardless of my circumstances, I am flat out thankful. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. God's richest blessings to you this Thanksgiving, from my family to yours, and the Crawford Broadcasting family. Happy Thanksgiving. This Thanksgiving, whether you're with family, friends, or not, Follow the example given us in 1 Chronicles 16.34 and give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Happy Thanksgiving from all of us at Crawford Broadcasting. Steve Russo with Real Answers. Usually the word appetite makes us think about food. Did you know the root meaning of the word is to seek? An appetite is any strong desire that drives us to go after something. We can crave all kinds of things, food, love, attention, intimacy, power, money. The appetite for these things can be good or bad, sometimes both. Are you discouraged because you failed God in some way? Disappointed with yourself for allowing peer pressure to coerce you into sin? Maybe you've tried so many times to overcome a sinful habit, you've given up. Jesus has a word for you. Don't give up. If you truly desire a life that pleases God, keep seeking after it. You'll find it. When your driving appetite is to please God, He'll help you live what you desire and be satisfied. 
To learn more about Real Answers, check out Steve's website, www.realanswers.com. The American Psychological Association says that we as Americans feel we are at the lowest point we can remember, and that's causing a lot of stress. We're talking about it on the public square with Dave Zanotti from the American Policy Roundtable. Dave, topping that list has got to be politics. Uh, It's right up at the very top of it, where the country is heading. And interestingly enough, Wayne, across every age demographic, the numbers are high. People are stressed out. And also, interestingly enough, it affects independents, Democrats, and Republicans. 73% of Democrats are stressed out over the direction the nation's heading. 56% of Republicans, 59% of independents. So this stress factor about where we're going as a nation is hitting everybody and a majority of everybody, both age, politics, race, gender. People are really stressing out about where this nation is heading. Now, in case you're wondering, I'm encouraged by that. Really? Because we should be concerned about where the country's heading, because I don't like the words heading either. <laughs> How about you, Wayne? <laughs> so, I, so I think we have a good reason to be concerned. And uh, the question is, what do we do about it? And yeah. what are those specific issues that are driving us particularly crazy uh, as, as it comes to where we're going as a nation? Uh, tomorrow, I want to dig into the issues and particularly dig into one that is is the top of the list, the very top of the list of things that are really troubling people about our nation is health care of all the issues. Yeah. So we take a longer look at this at our long format program, and people can perhaps find more there as well. Yeah, I was going to say, if you can't wait until tomorrow, go online to thepublicsquare.com, where we have an hour-long discussion of this very issue on the program called The Public Square. I'm Wayne Shepherd with Dave Zanotti, and we'll be back tomorrow with The Public Square. The only possibility of turning an enemy into a friend is by showing kindness to that person. Enemies don't become friends by force or by acts of vengeance. Rather, our enemies become friends when we express the love of God to them. Do good to them, speak well of them, and pray for them. If you show kindness to an enemy, God will reward you. Even if your enemy continues to persecute you and do evil to you, God will find a way to bless you. Taken from God's Way Day by Day by Charles Stanley. Join us for In Touch with Dr. Charles Stanley weekday mornings at 1030 here on the Mighty 670. This is News, Politics, and Commentary with Bob Duco. Well, a second allegation has come out against Senator Al Franken. This is a woman who claims that in 2010, while at the Minnesota State Fair, she was posing for a picture with him, and she says that he put his hand on her rear end, but didn't just rest it there, but actually grabbed and cupped her rear end. And she's making this known now. Al Franken, of course, is denying it. It's a he said, she said thing. Okay. There's also been some talk about whether Al Franken might consider resigning from the U.S. Senate because of not just this, but the other allegation involving that L.A. personality, radio personality, where he posed for that picture as he was groping her breasts, smiling as she was sleeping on the plane. Well, Franken's office says no, he is not considering resigning at all. And I have to admit, I really sometimes feel a little bit sorry for Al Franken. Not because I support what he did or minimize it at all, not at all. But because 
Al Franken has got to be a little bit confused by the double standard that he's now being held to. If you think about it, it's really not fair to Al Franken that liberals can make it okay to degrade women for as long as they have, but now suddenly he's committed this unforgivable sin. I mean, if you think about it, who's Al Franken and the Democratic Party's constituents, right? Hollywood, liberal left-wing media, the celebrity world. These are the people that have celebrated porn kings like Hugh Hefner and Larry Flint. These are people that when Donald Trump was the womanizing playboy billionaire, when he was saying all the crude and vulgar things against women back when, 10, 15, 20 years ago, remember, he was a Democrat back then. But he was also welcomed by liberal Hollywood, liberal Democrats. He spent 15 years on NBC's Apprentice TV show. He was performing skits with fellow liberals on the Emmy Awards, on Saturday Night Live, the Comedy Central Roast, all of these things. He was a darling of the media when he was saying all of these crude comments. We, of course, have the liberal comedians like Bill Maher and Louis C.K. We've known for years about the Hollywood casting couch, the liberal Democrats that defended Bill Clinton and smeared his accusers and dismissed them. I mean, let's face it. Women have been treated. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.